Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Catechism. At BRCC, we believe that our catechism is a useful tool to help us understand and grow in our faith. But why? Find out in our series, Catechism. This week we're going to be continuing our series on the catechism. We're going to be uh, looking at 2 uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Uh, last week we saw our purpose was to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This week we're going to talk about where we find out how to do that, which is in God's Word. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. You can follow along in your welcome booklet. And as always, uh, everything will be up here on the screens. I'll be uh, using the New International Version this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, hear now the Word of God. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have uh, known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. A number of years ago, uh, my family was on vacation, and there were a few other families uh, in the church that were there with us. Greg and Karen Younger, and their family was there, and Ronnie and Renee were there. And uh, the first day, we kept noticing all these young people were in these kayaks they had rented out on the ocean, and they were flying in. And when they would do it, they appeared to have no control over the kayaks whatsoever because they kept screaming for everybody to get out of the way. And so, being guys, we looked at it and said, that, that looks like fun. So uh, Ronnie, and I can't remember if Greg was with him or not, they, they went off and they got the kayaks. And when they brought them back, the wives' immediate question was, did you get any instructions on how to do this or how to use it? And all of us being good guys said, instructions? We don't need no stinking instructions. We're just going to get on the kayak and go. And it was a lot of fun. Up until I was out with my son, Tim, and he was in the back of the kayak, and we had done like two or three runs, and we decided we were going to do one more, but unfortunately, we hesitated a little bit before we made our decision, and about the time I started trying to turn the kayak around, I noticed that the front end was getting caught in undertow going back out, and I thought, this probably isn't good. And then the next thing I noticed was my son, who was almost six foot tall, flying over my head in front of me, and I thought, this is really not good. And then the next thing I noticed was the kayak smacking me in the back of the head. <laughs> and I was under the water and trying to get up and saying, instructions, we don't need no stinking instructions. Uh, somewhere there is actually a video of that event. And if you search around, you could probably find it if you're of the type of temperament that likes to watch people in pain. Uh, and I bring that up as I was thinking about this week because very often, you know, and it's one of the stereotypes, guys don't like instructions. But there are things you can get by with no instructions, and then there are things where it'd be much better if you knew how to use what you had or knew why something is there. 
And so we talked last week about our purpose, that we're to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But where do we learn how to do that? How do we, because people have all kinds of different ideas of what that might look like. So today, we want to talk about our instruction manual. God has, in fact, told us how to glorify and enjoy him forever. And he's done that in the Bible, his word. Now, one of the reasons that we need this is there is a problem that confronts you and me when we want to glorify and enjoy God forever. And that is, Paul tells us there will always be opposition to godliness. Anytime we are attempting to live as God calls us to live, there is going to be opposition. And he points out two different ways. Number one, he tells us that there is a problem of direct, active opposition. In verse 12, he says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul's quite clear. If you are trying to glorify God and enjoy him forever, there will be opposition to that. People will not encourage that. We are promised there will be those who will actively try to force us to compromise on following God. This is not the kind of thing that we usually put in our little Jesus promise books, but Paul says it's a promise. You can take it to the bank. If you are trying to follow God in this fallen, broken world, there will be people who will oppose that. There will be forces that don't want us to glorify or enjoy God and will oppose anyone who is trying to fulfill God's purposes for them. And Paul can make this statement because it's been this way since the fall. Think about the fall where our ability to glorify and enjoy God forever became hampered by sin And what's the very next story in the scripture? Cain and Abel. And Abel is glorifying and enjoying God and giving a sacrifice that God enjoys and Cain is not. And what is Cain's response? Is it to correct his own behavior? No, it's to kill Abel right from the very beginning. And it goes from there all the way through scripture All the way down through church history, those who are attempting to glorify and enjoy God always meet with opposition. It's a fact that you won't hear very much today, but the most persecuted group around the globe, it's not even close, is Christians. It's not even close. If you watch our news, you would think that it's actually Christians persecuting everybody else, but that's just made up out of Nothing. It's made up out of thin air. In fact, Christians are suffering and dying right now as we speak all around the globe. Paul told us we should expect this. So, just as a little freebie on the side, don't be surprised when that happens. You already know it's going to happen. In general, the world is not going to applaud your attempt or mine to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In fact, so there's direct opposition, but Paul tells us there's another way that this comes, which is in verse 13, which is the problem of deception. Notice in verse 13, he says, while evil men and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. There are those who are deceived regarding the truth, regarding what is 
beautiful and what is good. They have things turned upside down. Isaiah speaks of it. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, darkness for light and light for darkness. There are always those who are confused on these things. They misunderstand our purpose, and they are bent on trying to deceive you and me. Most of the time, be clear, they don't even understand they're deceived. The nature of deceit is you don't know it when it's happening to you. You're deceived. You think you are on the right path, but you are, in fact, not. And so we see these two ways. They're actually, if you're a fan of literature, you can look back at the two great novels, dystopian novels in the 20th century, and they line up with these. In 1984, George Orwell's book, Big Brother was trying to force, physically force people to live the way he wanted them to live. In Brave New World, uh, Aldous Huxley's novel, it wasn't by compulsion and forcing, it was by seduction and deceit. People just stopped asking the questions. But the end result was the same in both novels. Truth was being abandoned and people were living in a way that did not line up with human nature. And so there's always these two things direct force that will try to stop us from glorifying and enjoying God, or deceit regarding who we are, who God is, how we ought to live, that will try to lure us away from glorifying and enjoying God. So given that that's the case, how are we going to learn how to do it? Well, thankfully, God has given us a place where he tells us, and that is in the Scripture. Notice what he tells Timothy. So he said that there's going to be this opposition and there's going to be this deceit, and then in verse 14, he says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and become as convinced of. So notice, this is what's going to be happening in the world around you, Timothy. There's always going to be persecution. There's always going to be deceit. But as for you, you're not to walk in that. You're not to respond to the opposition. You are not to respond to the deceit. You are to continue on in what you have learned. They are learning deception. You continue in the truth that you have learned from the time you were young. And he tells us in verse 15 what that is. You've known the holy scriptures. Timothy, don't give in to the deceit. Don't give in to the opposition because you already know the truth. You learned the truth from your infancy and you learned it through the holy scriptures. So he's telling him, you were raised steeped in the scripture, continue in this path. No matter the persecution, no matter the deception, you stick to the path. <clears throat> now Paul then tells us very helpfully what the central message of scripture is. What we first and foremost ought to be getting out of it, which is salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is the central message of Scripture. Notice in verse 15, he says, How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is the central message of Scripture. And we're going to come back to this next week. But this is what God's Word is about. And if we are going to fulfill our purpose to glorify and enjoy God, the first thing we have to understand is we need a Savior. The reason you and I struggle with glorifying and enjoying God is because we are trapped in sin. We are cut off from God. We are by nature children of wrath. We are by nature those who do not seek God, who do not love good, do not want good. We enjoy being deceived. 
That's the first part. Before you can get to the good news, you've got to understand the bad news. And so Paul tells us that the Scriptures are able to make us wise to this thing of salvation because you cannot glorify and enjoy God apart from Jesus Christ. It's always fool's gold if you try to do it any other way. So salvation through Christ is the uh, core focus of God's Word because if we're going to glorify and enjoy God, which is why we're here, we're going to have to be saved through Jesus Christ. So it tells us this over and over again. And I want you to notice, <clears throat> Paul does not tell Timothy that there are a few scriptures that can make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. In fact, he doesn't say, hey, it's the New Testament, because when Timothy was learning the Scripture that made him wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus as an infant, not one word of the New Testament had even been written yet. It didn't exist. Timothy learned the Scripture and was made wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ from what we refer to as the Old Testament. Because the entire Bible, from Genesis 1-1, to the last verse of Revelation 22, is all pointed towards our need for Jesus Christ. It is all centered on His person, His work, Him creating and redeeming us. And so when we read the Old Testament, the law shows you and me we need a Savior. When I read in, in the Psalms, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can come before Him? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. I'm not reading that so I can say, oh, oh, I, I fulfill the qualifications. I realize I don't. So how am I going to come before a holy God? I better have somebody who does have clean hands and a pure heart, who can bring me into the presence of God. The entire law shows you and me our need for Jesus Christ, and that it is futile to hope for salvation by my own works. But the gospel, thanks be to God, shows me that Christ has overcome. He has fulfilled the law, and His righteousness is given to me, not because I add to it, not because I do a little, simply because I believe. Exactly what we were asking Zach and Sophie about this morning. I'm not saved by Jesus' work plus. Now, I'm saved by Jesus' work. And that work is accessed by faith, not faith plus, simply faith alone. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, so that it is through the glory of God alone. And so we're being told here, if you're trying to turn the Bible into little tidbits of wisdom, my little bit of inspiration for the day, you're completely misusing the Word of God and you're not going to fulfill your purpose to glorify and enjoy God. One of the reasons we struggle is we use the Scripture wrongly. It's not about my daily dose of inspiration. Sometimes it gives me that. Sometimes it tells me my problem. And that doesn't seem very inspiring at the moment. But I need to hear that word. Now again, we're going to come back and look at this really in depth next week. But we understand that that's the central message. Now, <clears throat> why we can have confidence in the Scripture is Paul goes on and tells us that the source of Scripture is God Himself. Verse 16, he says, All Scripture is God-breathed. If you use some other translations, they'll say uh, every scripture is given by inspiration of God or all scripture is inspired by God. 
the word inspired or God breathed, Paul created a word. He took two Greek words, the word for God and the word for breathe, and he just stuck them together. Theopanoustos, just God breathed out, bang, the Bible. That's what Paul's telling us. Now, there are a lot of people today who want to make fun of that idea. Well, they can. Okay, you can make fun of anything that you want to make fun of. It doesn't make it that the idea you're making fun of wrong. In fact, the Scripture is the Word of God. And notice Paul tells us several things here. Number one, it's not the opinions of ancient people. It's not man's thoughts regarding who God is. It's God's revelation of himself to us. Secondly, it's not just parts of Scripture. It is all Scripture. But let me step aside for a second and say something. You hear today, you will hear this. There are many people who say, well, I'm a red-letter Christian. I take really seriously what Jesus said. Well, I want to tell you, I'm a Jesus Christian. And you know what Jesus said? Everything from Genesis 1-1 to the last verse of Revelation 22. It doesn't matter whether it's in red in your Bible or not. When Moses said it, Jesus said it. When David said it, Jesus said it. When Paul wrote it, Jesus said it. Period. And the idea of, well, show me where Jesus spoke against this is idiotic to the extreme. Every bit of the Word of God. Notice Paul's word. All Scripture. Every bit of it is inspired by God. We don't have some that's really, really inspired and some that's kind of inspired. You hear people today, and usually what this means is, I don't like what God's telling me through Paul, so I don't want to hear it. Well, that's revealing your problem, and it's revealing my problem. Here's the secret. I don't like a lot of what God reveals through Paul. I would like it to be different than it is. I would like it where I was the center of the universe. I would like it whatever whim or fancy I have is truth. But that's not the way it is. And so all Scripture is God-breathed. So the second you hear somebody say, well, Jesus never spoke about, if it is anywhere between Genesis and Revelation, he did speak about. He did speak about, and he still does. Thirdly, what this means is Scripture does not just contain God's Word. Some people like to use that phrase. Well, the Bible contains the Word of God. No, it doesn't contain it. It is the Word of God. Because contain is just another way of saying, I'm going to pick and choose what I like and what I don't. But see, if I can pick and choose what I like and what I don't, then who's really sovereign and who's really Lord? Me. And so when you see people saying these things, oddly enough, like, when a bunch of German liberal theologians in the 19th century were coming up with these ideas, guess what Jesus looked like? A 19th century liberal German. That's what he looked like. We always make God back into our own image. But see, God has given us the Word so we know who He truly is, not who we want Him to be, because every age struggles with who God is. Our struggle is different today than it was 100 years ago or 200 years ago, but we need the Word of God to be an external, inerrant, objective source of revelation of who God is. And that's what Paul's telling us it is. The source is God Himself. And if it is God's Word, then it is inerrant and it is utterly trustworthy. It's God's revelation of truth for us. Now, let me say, that doesn't mean my interpretation is always correct. 
but God's word is correct. And that is an unalterable, cannot be compromised upon point. To give up here is to give up everywhere. The next thing that Paul tells us is, because it's God's word, Scripture is useful to guide us in all of God's ways. Notice he says the Scripture is useful, and he lists four things. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Scripture doesn't just teach us about how to get saved. It instructs us how to live as God's people. Scripture tells us, it teaches us, here's how you glorify and enjoy God. And when I don't, which is regularly, Scripture comes up and it rebukes me. And it says, that's not glorifying to God, and it's not going to work for your joy in the end. And then Scripture actually comes along and it corrects me as I'm trying to get back on the path. It'll correct and get me on. And then finally, Paul says, it trains me in righteousness. So it helps build that discipline and it guides me in that path. So in all of these ways, the Scripture strengthens me when I'm walking in a way that is glorifying to God and allows me to enjoy Him, but it rebukes me when I'm not. And I can't pick and choose. This is why I said it's not just about daily inspiration. What's my little thing that makes me feel better? Well, what I may need right at the moment is not something that makes me feel better, but something that's actually going to correct me. If I have a terrible sickness and I go into a doctor and the doctor says, you have this disease, what if I say, I don't want to hear that. I want you to make me feel better. So tell me something good. If the doctor then says, okay, you're, you're perfectly healthy, is that doctor doing his job? Am I wise asking the doctor, just tell me what I want to hear? See, I'm consigning myself to disease if I do that. The Scripture is here to tell us when we're doing well and to correct us when we're not. And so what this means is the standard for our lives can never be the deceitful thoughts of the latest truths that are coming down the pike, but rather what God's Word says. The unalterable, unchanging truth of God recorded in Scripture. So it's impossible for you and me to glorify and enjoy God apart from learning and applying the Scripture to every facet of my life. Because remember, as we said last week, glorifying God is not just about what we do in here for 90 minutes on Sunday morning. It's about every aspect of life. My thoughts, my desires, my words, my actions, all of them being brought in conformity with who God is and who God has made me to be. And I need the Scripture to guide me in that, and you cannot grow in this apart from the Word of God. And so Paul then concludes by saying, here's the effect of Scripture. Here's the result that comes out. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that. Here's why. Here's what it does. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture thoroughly equips us so that we can walk in good works, which are the fruit of salvation. We'll talk about this, actually, in a couple of weeks. And so what he's saying here is Scripture teaches you and me how to live in a manner that is both glorifying to God and therefore also for my good. That which is 
Glorifying to God is always for my good. That which is pleasing to God will always in the end bring joy to me. And Scripture teaches us how to do that. And so a life built upon the Word of God is equipped, Paul says. You are equipped to be able to glorify God, to enjoy God now and forever. And rather than being those who are deceived and deceiving others, Paul's saying, you're now going to be equipped with the truth. You're going to know how to glorify and enjoy God, and you're going to be able to teach other people. And so we could have continued on in the very next chapter. Paul very briefly tells Timothy, this is where he gives the famous command, Timothy, in view of all of this, and in view of the fact that Jesus is going to come again and he's going to judge the living, here's what I command you to do. Preach the word. In season, out of season, whether people like it, don't like it, because apart from the Word of God, you're not going to know who you are, what God is calling you to be, and ultimately you're forsaking your own joy. So this is the call for you and me. Now, how do we apply this? How do we get into the Word of God and get the Word of God into us? There's two central questions. First, do I see the importance and the uniqueness of God's Word? And I don't want to just take this for granted because there are many forces today trying to tell us it is not important, it is not unique. But see, since the fall, our ability to perceive the truth has been distorted and twisted. You and I do not accurately perceive truth in any realm. Our our sight is off. It's, it's messed up. It's been shattered. And so our only hope of knowing, loving, glorifying, and enjoying God is if God reveals himself to us because you and I won't see it. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, look, God has revealed himself in creation. But we managed to take that and start worshiping creation and denying God himself and Paul says we start doing things that go completely against nature, and it's just this descending cycle as you read in Romans chapter 1. So even though the truth is out there in that, Paul says it's not sufficient. Not because of it, but because of us. We're, we're, we're distorted. We're not able to understand it. So God has to reveal himself. And what we're learning is God has revealed himself to us in his word so that we can know how to glorify him, so that we can know how to enjoy him. And only God's word is inspired by God and therefore inerrant and the final rule of authority for all believers. Nothing else is inspired in the sense that Paul is talking about here. Nothing else is God-breathed. And that means every other source of truth Every other source of truth, history, archaeology, what I think, what other books are there, this teaching, science, you name it, they all hit the knee. One final source of truth, Word of God. This is inspired and inerrant. It is the final standard. So I encourage you as I do again, please, I'm glad we got kids here taking notes. I encourage you to do it. Check everything I say against the Word of God. It is not true because Brett said it. It is true 
if God said it. And so it is imperative that we dig into the Word and understand the Word. And that's true of every source out there. One of our problems, I, I, I love technology. I made my living from technology before I started becoming a pastor for a living. Technology has many wonderful things. Every idiot with a keyboard has access to the internet today and can post things and declare it's true. The fact that it's on the internet, the fact that it's high in Google search listings, the fact that a lot of people click like on it doesn't make it true. Some of it's just downright lunacy, but people will lay hold of it. Check everything, everything, everything by the Word of God. Am I being clear on that? Okay, good. I, I hope I am. Now, if I understand that, and again, that's not what our culture tells us. They take this as just one other book, one other idea. It's ancient people's ideas. We've got to give it. No, that, that's all wrong. It judges us. But once we do that, then the next question is, am I letting the Word dwell richly in me each and every day? This follows on inexorably from the previous point. If you're going to have your attitudes and your thoughts and desires and actions reformed and renewed, if I'm going to, we've got to have the Word of God dwelling in us each and every day. Because how often is the world going to try and deceive us? Every day. It's Notice Paul just said this is the way it's going to be. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be deceit. How are you going to be? Timothy, you've got to continue in the Word. Timothy, you've got to stay there in the Word. And if we're going to be shifted and changed, because see, here's the problem. You know why I believe a lot of crazy stuff? Because down inside, my desires are warped. And so I don't approach any information neutrally. I like finding silliness because it lines up with what I already wanted. Let's see, this one's telling me go with what I like. This one's rebuking me. Let's see which one. I think this one's true. Is that not what we do? We all do the same thing. So we've got to get the Word of God to start shaping so that my attitudes, my thoughts, my desires are shifted and changed. And friends, that doesn't happen in one teaching a week. We have got to get into the Word of God. So do I have a sufficient intake of the Word to overcome all these other deceptions? Remember back when Simeon taught a couple of months ago, you know, about uh, in Romans 12, 1 and 2 there, that the, the world is trying to squeeze us into its mold. It's here every day trying to get us to conform to its pattern. And I remind you that in that text in Romans 12, it's not that you are actively going out there trying to conform to the world. It's that the world is trying to conform you. It's literally, do not be being conformed by this world. The world is going to be there tomorrow morning. You can know before you see your spouse, before you think your first thought, when your eyes pop open, the world's going to say, hey, I'm here. Let me tell you truth as I see it. Before you've even had your feet hit the floor. So, we got to have an antidote. And the antidote is the Word of God. Am I getting sufficient intake? We need the Word to shape us every single day. Now, to get a well-rounded grip, I'm, I don't have time to go into this deeply, but we're going to put up uh, two graphics here, and they're basically the same thing. This is an old illustration by the navigators known as the hand illustration. I use it because I don't know of anything clearer. It takes five ways, we're told, to get the Word of God into us. 
the, the easiest but least determinative in shaping is hearing the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Secondly is reading the Word of God that I'm actually reading through just to grasp the, the plot and the storyline of Scripture. Thirdly, there is studying or examining the Word of God. That's Acts 17, 11. The Bereans were of noble character. They examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. This isn't just reading along. See, I read the Scripture when I'm driving down the road sometimes. When I'm getting ready, like when we were doing uh, Game of Thrones last summer and it was 2 Samuel, I listen to 2 Samuel over and over and over again. I just walk around here at the office and I'm just listening to it. I can't examine the Scripture driving down the road. I can listen to it, but if I start examining the Scripture driving down the road, somebody's going to be visiting me in the hospital pretty soon. This is talking about pen and pencil out, paying attention, digging in, asking myself questions. It's one of the reasons we give the discussion guide, the devotion guide each week, to ask you questions, to dig back into the Scripture and study it further, make it your own. But then we get to the really serious, the, the two most important are first memorize the Word of God. You may have noticed as I'm sitting here for each of these, I'm quoting Scripture. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 and verse 13 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your Word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. That's memorizing the Word of God. I memorized those verses like 35 years ago or something. You've got to pack God's Word in. You've got to know that it is there and that it is yours. The beautiful thing about memorizing the Scripture is nobody can ever take the Word of God from you. If the day comes, I hope and pray it doesn't, but if the day comes that they lock up crazy people like me who preach for a living and they take my Bible away, they can't unless they do a frontal lobotomy because I've got it tucked away. And the more you memorize, the deeper it sinks down. And then that leads to the last one, which is that glorious opposable thumb, which tells us that where you really get a grip is when you meditate. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, his Torah, his instruction, he meditates day and night. Do you and I do that? Are we in the Word? Now, there's another version here. You can see where it's got the five scriptures listed. Okay? These are also in your welcome booklet. They're, they're in the, the Devo Guide online. And in after hours, I'm going to talk about this a little more briefly. There was also a teaching, which I believe is listed in your booklet, uh, where I talk specifically through this, how to get them in. What I want to encourage and challenge you is to look at those five ways and say, is there any one of these that I'm just not doing enough of? And let God speak to you. Friend, your life depends on it. You're not saved by doing these five things. That's been taken care of by Jesus. But who in here wants joy? They want joy? Who would like to wake up tomorrow and say, I would like joy in my life? Do this. Get into the Word of God. It will bring joy into your life. Because when you know who God is, and you know who you are, and you know the law, and you know the gospel, and you are wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, and you are 
taught and rebuked and corrected and trained in righteousness. And you are saying, I am, I am learning how to glorify God. God pours joy into your life. So to not get a firm grip on the Word of God is to forsake your own joy. So don't do that. Get into the Word of God. So what we're going to do, if we can stand, I'm going to conclude with a prayer to ask the Lord to do this work in us. And I want to ask you to think about those ways and say, Lord, how can I get a grip on the Word of God? And even more important, how can the Word of God get a grip on me? And cry out to God with me, asking Him to do that. Father, as your people, we desire to glorify and enjoy you now and forever. This is pleasing to you, and it is for our own good. But Lord, we acknowledge that apart from your revelation, our own sin has blinded us so that we don't even know how to do this. But we thank you, for you have revealed how we may glorify and enjoy you and you have given it to us in your word, the Bible. How grateful we are for the word of God. Your word is the word of God, not the word of man. Your word is perfect, flawless, and without error. Your word is living. It is not dead letters, but your living voice in the earth today. So your word is sufficient to teach, rebuke, correct, and train us so that we might glorify and enjoy you forever. Lord Jesus, from the word of God, we learn that you are our only hope of salvation. You are the eternal son of God who became human for us and for our salvation. Today, we again embrace you in faith, admitting our weakness and embracing your strength, repenting of our sin and embracing your righteousness, denying ourselves so that we might follow you and find true life. How grateful we are for you, our Savior, our High Priest, our Lord, our King. Holy Spirit, as you moved upon the waters of creation to bring them to life, so you moved upon us when we were dead in sin, regenerating and raising us to new life in Christ. We thank you for our salvation. As you moved upon the prophets and apostles of old so that they spoke and wrote the very word of God, so move upon us that we may hear, believe, and apply that word of God to our lives. Holy Spirit, fall fresh upon us now in power so that we might feast upon the word of God every day this week, so that we might be conformed to Christ, glorifying and enjoying our God with every fiber of our being. We ask this in the mighty and glorious name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And those who agree say, Amen. Amen. Friends, now I commit you to God 
and the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Go forth full of the blessing of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.